electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everyone. On this huge day for investors and for the country, positive vaccine news from Pfizer is sending stocks soaring. The Dow, the S&P, and the Russell 2000 are all hitting record highs. And for the Dow, like Scott just said, this is the first time we're at new highs since February. Remember, at the March lows, the Dow was just over 18,200. We're at 29,600, almost 700 this afternoon. Those are some monster gains. Now, all of this is also sending yields jumping today. The 10-year nearly breaching above 1%, but that's helping stocks, especially the financials. We'll talk about all of it, and I'll be joined by special guest Stanley Druckenmiller with his takeaways in just a few minutes' time. But let's begin this hour with who else? Meg Terrell with the news of the day, the latest on this Pfizer vaccine. Hi, Meg. Hi, Kelly. Well, getting the news this morning from Pfizer and its German partner, BioNTech, that their vaccine showed more than 90 percent efficacy in this phase three trial against COVID-19. Now, the way they get to that 90 percent number is they got 94 cases of COVID-19 in this trial and a huge number of them were in the vaccine group and a smaller number were in the Oh, sorry, I've got that backwards. A huge number in the placebo group and a smaller number um, in the vaccine group showing that the vaccine is protective. The company also saying no serious safety concerns were observed here, and they plan to potentially seek approval after they get two months of safety follow-up from half of the people in the trial getting their second shot. And they expect to get to that milestone in the third week of November. So essentially looking at next week. And this is such a big deal, Kelly, because before this moment, we had seen no data from these efficacy studies showing that these vaccines were actually protective. All we'd seen so far was antibody data showing that they did have an immune response, but this shows they're actually protective. So kind of a light at the end of the tunnel. We talked with Pfizer CEO Albert Borla about that this morning. Here's what he said. It is a a great day for science. It is a great day for humanity. When you realize that uh, your vaccine has a 90% effectiveness, that's overwhelming. Uh, You understand that uh, the hopes of billions of people and millions and uh, businesses and hundreds of governments that were felt on our shoulders, now we can uh, credibly tell them, I think we can see light at the end of the tunnel. But Kelly, questions do remain. I was speaking with Dr. Mike Osterholm from the University of Minnesota, who, of course, was just named to uh, President-elect Biden's COVID task force. And he said he wants to see things like a breakdown of efficacy by age. Does this work in the elderly as well as it worked in younger people? Does it prevent severe disease, hospitalizations and deaths? Um, We also need to know, of course, how long does this protection last? And that won't be something we can tell until you follow people for a longer period of time um, in the trial. And of course, a key question is going to be how many people will take this vaccine. We've, of course, been hearing about people being nervous about the name Operation Warp Speed and how fast these processes were going. And we asked Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, about that this morning and his message to people about taking the vaccine. Here's what he said about that. The decision to vaccinate is not affecting only yourself. Uh, It's affecting the health of others and uh, likely the most vulnerable others. 
So because if you decide not to vaccinate, you will become the weak link that will allow this virus to replicate and produce the detrimental effects, which means so many people unemployed, 1,000 deaths every day in the US only, and even more in the world, much more in the world. So it's an important decision. I want everyone to be open-minded. From our perspective, we'll do everything we can to convince them that 170 years of legacy is something that we count as Pfizer and to plan to respect. Kelly, the other huge question, of course, is going to be supply. Pfizer saying it will have 50 million doses available in 2020, up to 1.3 billion next year, but this is a two-dose vaccine. So 50 million doses globally could help 25 million people. So there is going to be more demand than there is supply for this at the beginning. And so all eyes are going to be on the other companies also working on vaccines. And we're expecting data from Moderna within a few weeks. Kelly? You know, and Meg, while efficacy is the most important thing right now, Pfizer itself has said in the past there's kind of three ways you need to evaluate a vaccine on its efficacy, which in this case is scored very, very high, on its safety in terms of side effects, and then on its kind of production, uh, manufacturing uh, uh, sort of steadiness, you know, making sure that as the, all of those, especially next year, those 1.3 billion vaccines roll out, that it's a uniform uh, vaccine that everybody's getting. So on the safety issue, just because we've had, you know, we've seen different trials halted throughout the summer. Um, did he talk at all about that, about side effects? Um, you know, did he speak to that issue here? And do we expect that to be a headwind as they move towards uh, putting this thing into full circulation? Yeah. So um, we did ask about side effects and also about tolerability. So they didn't see any serious side effects that would have caused any sort of uh, stopping of the trial the way we saw with the AstraZeneca vaccine, for example. They stopped and they investigated. The J&J vaccine was paused as they looked into a safety issue. Um, nothing like that was reported here in the Pfizer and BioNTech trial. But there will be questions of tolerability. After you get the second shot, uh, in particular, you know, people do experience headaches, chills, aches and pains, um, things that you do encounter with other vaccines, um, but you know you might not feel great um, after you get the second shot. And that was actually data that Pfizer had already put out there, so we, we knew that. And also our colleagues Chrissy Farr and um, uh, Berkeley Lovelace Jr. on CNBC.com have written a story about that, talking with people in the trials about their experiences. And so um, it will be interesting to hear more about that tolerability but no huge safety concerns that we've heard about that would really stop this vaccine from making it through the FDA. Right. And that's also great news. A great day for Pfizer and for the market as a whole. Meg, thank you so much. Meg Terrell been following all of this for us today. Let's get to stocks, which are soaring, especially the travel stocks. You've got names like Carnival up 30 percent. Uh, you've got the airlines flying, financials, energy, you name it. Uh, meanwhile, the stay-at-home names, the high flyers like Zoom this year, they're under some serious pressure down in the range of 15 percent. Seema Modi has all the latest market moves for us. Seema? Some big market moves, Kelly. Let's start large here and look at the Dow, which uh, is currently on pace for its first intraday record since February. And now within about 300 points of breaking above 30,000. And stocks, keep in mind, rallied about 7% last week. So a really strong performance over the last couple of days. About 27 of the 30 Dow components currently trading in positive territory. But it is worth noting we are being led by the travel and hospitality names, cruise lines, 
airlines, hotels, all of these names that got hit hard by COVID are rebounding in today's trade by as much as 14 to 15 percent. Carnival on pace for its best day ever since it went public in 1987, currently up 36 percent. Keep in mind, executives from the hospitality sector have often said a vaccine is the new passport to travel. Question now is how quickly demand can return to pre-COVID levels uh, as we await more details here from the hospitality names. Let's turn to some other stocks, though. Ride-sharing names joining in on today's rally. If you take a look at Uber and add today's gains to the response we saw last week to that Prop 22, Uber shares now up about 40 percent since Election Day last week. Those lockdown winners, as you referenced, Kelly, are losing steam here on this idea that an effective vaccine will result in life returning to normal earlier rather than later. Questions, of course, still around supply uh, of that vaccine. But we're looking at Peloton, Etsy and Zoom video down as much as 11 to 15 percent at this hour. Kelly, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you very much, Seema Modi. And the markets were looking positive this morning, even before the Pfizer news hit. Pre-market, the Dow was up about 400 points. And now, of course, we're off to the races up 1355. And we're at record highs. So where do we go from here? With me now, Steve Auth is the CIO of Equities at Federated Hermes. Nancy Tangler is CIO of Laffer Tangler Investments. And Peter Bookvar is CIO at Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Great to have all of you here. And Nancy, I'm going to start with you because you, uh, I think we're saying uh, maybe this is just a little bit too much uh, enthusiasm playing itself out in the market today. Yeah, Kelly. I mean, I think, look, this is fabulous news, though not entirely unknown. I think you have a couple of things going on. I mean, with with M2, where it's been up over 20 percent year over year, so we've got a lot of liquidity. Most money um, has been flowing into bond ETFs. I think we saw a reversal of that today, which catalyzed uh, the rally. And, and then I just think that, you know, the fundamentals are really good. And this just sort of opened the floodgates to allow investors to see that. I mean, the PMIs have been great. Consumer free cash flow is at historic highs. We have low energy costs, low interest rates. Um, you know, th- these are all very, po- and no inflation, by the way. These are all very positive things. So I, I think um, it's it's a, f- uh, a frenzy that's based on all good news. And that, you know, is likely to normalize in the coming weeks. Yeah, and Steve, there's two kind of flies in the ointment that I think about. I mean, the one is, Uh, If you were a big believer that we needed another stimulus package um, and perhaps this news means we get a smaller one um, or there's less urgency to it, if that's a problem for the market and for the economy. The other one that I wonder about is if there's a sense that the vaccine is right around the corner, you know, COVID is really bad right now. And would that make officials more likely to do shutdowns, lockdowns, whatever you want to call it, uh, because they know, hey, this is kind of the last hurrah and we don't have to live with this forever. And could that actually hurt the economy in the near term? Well, those are two possibilities, Kelly. You know, uh, we weren't a big believer that we needed another big fiscal pack, uh, stimulus package. We always thought the stimulus was that we already had a lot of cash in people's hands. And if you could just have people feel safer, uh, from something like the vaccine and better treatment protocols, that would be the stimulus to spark economic activity. There's already a wall of cash out there. Yeah, we need some kind of a bill to to you know kind of bail out the folks that are still suffering out there in the economy. Uh, that for sure, for humanitarian reasons, if nothing else. But in terms of actual stimulus to the broader economy, I don't think that's the case. The economic numbers were great last week. We've got a lot of momentum. We're looking into a situation here where sooner rather than later, we're going to behind, have COVID behind us. 
Is there going to be another lockdown near term? I don't know. You you tell me. I think that would certainly hurt if they try that. But it's going to be very, very hard um, to get Americans to stay indoors again. It was clearly overkill the last time. Uh, there's going to be specific activities that are going to perhaps be locked down. We've been going through that now. You know, bars, restaurants are tough. But I think the broader economy unlikely to see a broad lockdown. I just don't see it happening. And I see here, Steve, your top picks would include names like J.P. Morgan, Exxon, uh, Alaska Airlines. So those are some specific uh, places that people can look today. Uh, Peter, I want to turn to you and, and kind of keep it top level here for a second. Talk about bond yields. I mean, we see that 10-year. It almost cracked 1% today. Uh, you know, is it and look at the way the financials are responding. I mean, they are absolutely loving it. So what are the implications of this move higher in bond yields? Well, considering that a vaccine is probably the best stimulus program that you can potentially have, we were going to get the, we were going to see this kind of uh, a response. Um, in contrast to Nancy, I see inflation building. I, we see it on the good side. Uh, we see it in commodity prices, X oil. And now we potentially have oil prices that are rising. So I think that the inflationary story is going to lead to higher long-term interest rates. And we have to talk about the Fed if we're going to talk about markets, because what is the Fed going to do now? How are they going to respond? They pin rates at zero. They're printing $120 billion a month because of COVID. Well, if all of a sudden this goes away next year, mostly, well, then the Fed is going to have to start talking about reversing these policies. They're obviously not going to do it aggressively. And if they're not, well, then the long end is going to tighten policy for them if the economy continues to improve next year, which it likely will, and inflation, which I expect continues to head higher. I agree, All by right, the Nancy, way. Nancy, we started with you. We'll <laughs> give you the last word. And if you could, give us a couple of your tactical moves just quickly uh, for investors who wonder, should they dump all their big cap tech names, you know, the Zooms and the Pelotons, and pick up the value stocks? Uh, okay, Kelly, quickly. Uh, I agree with Peter. I think no one is pricing in higher inflation. I'm just saying that we don't have much now. Uh, but I do think that is a great risk uh, in the coming year. Uh, we have been adding to selective names. So we had already been trimming out of uh, the, the fang, a number of the fangs, like Google, like Microsoft, like Apple. And we've been putting the money in semis and in some of the uh, software companies that we think will continue to drive productivity going forward. So names like ServiceNow, uh, we also added to Square when it, when it sold off pretty dramatically. So we still like the tech uh, the tech play, but we're, we like it in different underlying industries. And then in terms of industrials, we were already overweight going in. So we've added uh, to names around the edges like Honeywell and International Tools. Yeah, it's amazing to see that sector up 4%, and it barely even makes the leadership board today. Thank you all so much for joining me. Uh, Steve Auth, Nancy Tangler, and Peter Bookvar are all sharing the, their, news on, their views on this market, I should say, on a very, very big news day. Don't go anywhere. Still ahead, we have billionaire investor Stan Druckenmiller joining us, and he has a big warning for a key part of the market. We'll tell you what it is, why, and what it means for investors coming up. Plus, what did today's results from Pfizer mean for the other vaccine names as they continue their trials? We'll dig into that next. And take a look at shares of Charles Schwab, the stock moving higher but reporting issues with clients accessing their site today. TV Ameritrade, E-Trade, Fidelity, and Robinhood also experiencing problems as markets surge. Remember, Schwab bought TD and E-Trade was acquired by Morgan Stanley. All those names higher. We're back in a couple here on The Exchange. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Shares of Pfizer are soaring after the company said its COVID vaccine is more than 90% effective. We're up 12% for PFE right now. But key questions remain. How effective will it be in older patients? How long does COVID resistance last? And will people take it? Joining me to help answer those questions is Dr. Vincent Chen. He's a biotech analyst at Bernstein. It's great to have you back. And first of all, the last time we spoke, you were concerned that Pfizer's silence was a bad sign. So that just underscores, I think, the magnitude of this positive news today, right? Yes, that's right. The last time we spoke, we were approaching the end of October with no vaccine, which made us a little concerned that trial might not be going as well as we hoped. But as we noted then, there could be other reasons for the delay. We've turned the cards over now. The data looks extremely good. And it turns out the delay was due to Pfizer waiting longer to analyze the data. I'm very excited about the news today. Yeah. And I know that there had been some pushback too. people in the uh, sort of analyst or research community didn't want them to go too quickly. So they've taken their time and the news is great. And so it's very gratifying uh, for all of us to hear that. Let me ask you, though, about some of these remaining questions. First and foremost, what about uh, its efficacy on older people? Uh, Any insight you can offer on, on kind of what we're likely to hear and when we might be likely to hear it? Well, I I think that's still a bit of an open question, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I would say that we'll probably need to wait to see when we get the final results and we'll have a little bit more insight then into what the efficacy looks like in the in the older populations. And that is certainly a critical question when you think about how quickly we can go back to some degree of normalcy. I would emphasize, though, that the the 90 percent efficacy we've seen is a, a very impressive result. It's very much at the upper end of what most folks were expecting. Most experts were thinking 70 to 80 percent. So 90 percent is quite high. And Furthermore, I'd highlight, too, that the 90% is efficacy in both preventing severe and non-severe symptomatic COVID. Severe disease, that which puts patients in the hospital, that which leads to mortality, that's probably what we're most concerned about. And vaccines usually, maybe always, are more effective in preventing severe disease than they are in preventing less severe disease. So I'd expect efficacy in preventing severe disease is probably even higher than 90%, which bodes quite well. That would, yeah, absolutely. And it was interesting to hear the CEO himself this morning say even he didn't think they were going to be 90% effective, um, that he was kind of positively surprised as surprised at that. What about how long the vaccine will last, uh, Dr. Chen? I mean, wh- you know, is it, it would seem to be a big difference if this has to be annually administered versus kind of a, a one and done uh, or every five or 10 years kind of thing. I mean, what do we know and how much does it change uh, the excitement that the market and investors might have, uh, depending on the answer? It, it would be a little bit of time before we get a complete answer on that. Um, I, I would say I'm gen- generally optimistic, though. I, I don't know whether we'll get to lifetime immunity from one course of the COVID-19 vaccine. But certainly, even if you did require, I, I, I would expect it would likely last at least a year or a year or two. And even if that was the profile, I think that would be certainly something that gets us a very long ways towards getting back to back to some degree of normalcy. I think that'd be very much an acceptable profile. I don't think it matters too much whether it's a every year, every two years or a every uh, lifetime sort of thing. And what about people taking it? You know, 
it's inter it probably will hinge on and Meg addressed this last uh, segment, but you know, if there's mild side effects, that's one thing, you know, but in this age of social media, especially if there, if people start seeing or hearing all sorts of, of things about what happens after you take it that are, you know, that give them some ca some caution after they've already been concerned uh, about whether this can be trusted, you know, how can Pfizer reassure us all that this is safe? Well, I, so there is some degree of what they call reactogenicity with the vaccine, reactogenicity being things like fever or sore arm or so forth. But from what we've heard so far, and admittedly the, the press release is limited, there were no severe adverse events noted in, in the trial this far. Um, the other thing I'd point out, too, is that success of Pfizer's vaccine bodes well for, for success of the other vaccines. And, and the other vaccines may have somewhat different reactogenicity profiles. We'll have to wait and see what the data looks like. Right. But it, it sort of means there could be multiple horses in the race and maybe ones that are better suited for different types of people. A lot still to be determined, but uh, but it's great to hear that you think this is pretty unqualified good news. Dr. Vincent Chen, thanks for being with us. Thank Joining you for having me. Bernstein today. And tune in tonight for the news with Shepard Smith. He's got an in-depth look at the latest developments following Pfizer's vaccine news, plus how the vaccine will get distributed. That's all tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, billionaire investor Stan Druckenmiller joins us. With the election behind us and progress on a COVID-19 vaccine, where should investors be looking to put their money to work? We'll get his plays. Plus, the at-home stocks are getting hit hard today. Is the sell-off in these market darlings overdone? We'll ask that question coming up on The Exchange. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Let's get a check on markets with stocks soaring on Pfizer's vaccine news today. Record highs for the Dow, which is up 1336 right now. We're up more than 1600 points at the highs. And as you can see, we're only a couple hundred points off crossing 30,000 for the first time. 4.7% uh, gain for the Dow, and it's by far the outperformer. The S&P is up 3%. The Nasdaq is up less than 1%. So you can see a big rotation playing out in the market today. And in fact, Financials are absolutely surging. They are one of the less loved sectors playing some catch up today. Dom Chu has more for us on that. Dom? I mean, the economic positivity story, right? This idea that if we do get a vaccine that has a 90 percent effective rate, that you could actually get people going back to work, opening up the economy on so many different fronts. That's going to be key. And that's the reason why you are seeing 3% gains for the S&P, which is, by the way, off the best levels of the session. As you pointed out, 
energy, financials, and real estate, the real outperformers so far today. Many of those retail mall operators getting a huge bid in today's trade. And then the laggards, communication services, consumer staples, and discretionary, the ones that are kind of holding down things, if you can even say that. They're still positive. Now, take a look at those, some of these. If you look at those bank stocks, the financial sector ETF is up roughly 10% right now in that trade. The S&P 500 bank ETF, ticker KBE, up 16% and 17 to 18% gains for the regional banks, those ones that are more sensitive to traditional lending activities, watching interest rates, a key part of that story. And then, of course, with the economic recovery, you have to talk about what's happening with oil prices. Yes, they have been grotesquely depressed over the last several months here. However, with any kind of positivity with regard to that economic narrative, you see a huge move higher. The big ETF that tracks energy, the ticker XLE, that spider, is up 16%. Look at refiners like Valero Energy, Holly Frontier, Diamondback Energy, even crude oil prices themselves up 9%. So, Kelly, financials and energy certainly very key to what's happening with today's rally. I'll send things back over to you. It's wild to see entire sectors up 16% like the regional banks and energy. Dom, thanks very much. Let's flip over to Sue Herrera now. She's got our CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hello, Kelly. Hello, everybody. Here's what's happening at this hour. Defense Secretary Mark Esper has been, quote, terminated. President Trump made the announcement in a tweet about 30 minutes ago saying counterterrorism head Christopher Miller will take on Esper's duties. NBC News reported last week that Esper was working with Congress to remove the names of Confederate leaders from military bases and expected to be out after the election. President-elect Joe Biden is urging all Americans to wear a mask as U.S. COVID cases surge to almost 10 million, no matter which candidate they voted for. So please, I implore you, wear a mask. Do it for yourself. Do it for your neighbor. A mask is not a political statement, but it is a good way to start pulling the country together. Notre Dame University is requiring all students to be tested for COVID because of that. Thousands of them stormed the field to celebrate a double overtime football victory on Saturday. The school says it is very disappointed about what it calls widespread disregard of health protocols at parties after the upset win. You are up to date, Kel. That's the news update. Back to you. That's what half the country looked like over the weekend. Uh, I know. Absolutely. People were out and about. Yeah. Test everybody. Uh, Sue, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Sue Herrera with our latest news there. Coming up, billionaire investor Stan Druckenmiller joins us. He's got a warning about one area of the market that could have a huge ripple effect. We'll tell you all about that. Plus, like Bill Miller, he's also a Bitcoin believer. We'll explain why it's up 36% in a month. He's got a little different rationale than we heard from Bill on Friday. We're back in a couple with that big interview. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Stocks continue to rally on positive news from Pfizer's phase three vaccine trial. Even the dollar index is moving higher after seeing its worst week since March. But my next guest says the greenback could be in for some trouble. For more, I'm joined by Stanley Druckenmiller, founder of the Duquesne family office. Mr. Druckenmiller, it's great to have you here. Uh, Do you want to just start with some kind of knee jerk reaction to the vaccine news uh, that we've gotten today? Do you think this market response is is warranted? My first response is it's just a fantastic day for mankind. Um, Extremely optimistic. Uh, Our analysts have combed the data and uh, we think probably within six to eight months, 
we could be out of this mess. So I'm very excited about it and just extremely happy for all of us. Um, the second thing I would say is the market reaction is, I think, very rational, um, very consistent. Obviously, um, you've had a bunch of equities benefited greatly um, from work from home. A lot of money has rotated into them. They're overvalued based on historical measures, but they have great business prospects going forward. I would argue even uh, in a post-vaccine world. But then you've got a whole nother sector of the market that has struggled mightily, um, obviously because of COVID. So they're selling uh, at undervalued relative to say a three to five year outlook. So the rotation we're seeing today, I think it's entirely rational. And will continue. Are you, we saw JP Morgan come out and say they think the S&P is going to be at 4,000 by early next year. Um, I think it's, the market overall is more complicated. Um, I certainly wouldn't want to be net short the market, but I think much more importantly is, is the rotational aspects that this will lead to. And I do think they will continue, but I would, I would want to say that a lot of these companies, particularly in digital transformation, even post-vaccine, I expect that to continue for, for actually years. So while they may come down in price during the rotation, there's not like a fundamental problem looking out, whereas some other ones who would have been beneficiaries of the vaccine, say a Clorox or a Lowe's, that's a whole different thing where they borrowed all sorts of demand from their future. I don't know about you, Kelly, but there's Clorox wipes all over um, my home. My guess is I don't need to buy any Clorox post-vaccine for three or four years. Same thing with maybe some of the uh, home improvement projects Americans have made. So it's nuanced, but certainly there's a lot of companies that will be direct, direct beneficiaries and, uh, I think they probably have further to go. How it necks out, it's a little more complicated because as you know, one of the reasons the market averages did so well during COVID is the big, big cap names within the index, the FANG names were beneficiaries from work from home. So while the majority of stocks may go, have been going down, the market overall was you know, actually rocketing. Well, and tell me why, with all of this that kind of we're talking about, and, and like you said, you know, it's a great day for, for humankind, for the U.S., for, you know, however you kind of put it. Tell me why your enthusiasm doesn't extend to the U.S. dollar. I mean, what is the concern that you have about this potentially being a moment where we could see some pretty significant downward pressure on the dollar? And I think given your, you know, your track record in the currency markets, that this is something all investors need to pay attention to. I wouldn't call it a concern. Um, I'm not looking for the dollar to crash or anything. Currencies tend to move in long three to five year trends. A lot of money has poured into the currency over the last 10 years. And I see trends that are reversing that. So I'm not talking about a market crash. I'm just talking about um, sort of a, a steady decline the next three or four years where you sort of want to turn off your screen. My, my thesis, a lot of it um, goes back to the aftermath of COVID. So it's been a very strange period for all of us, but it's also been the, 
most unique strangest economic period I ever have lived through, but also ever analyzed. Um, as you know, Kelly, we have 11 million people in September less employed than we had pre-COVID. But during that period, we have the largest rise in personal income in America, while 11 million more people were unemployed than we've had since 2000. Um, kind of an astounding juxtaposition, but the reason is pretty pretty clear. We The CARES Act, we just had a massive stimulus program that was basically transfer payments to the consumer from the government. One way I would put it into perspective, if you look at the increase in the U.S. deficit over the six-week period in the bad old days of last spring, during that six-week period, the deficit increased more than the last five recessions cumulatively combined. So if you took the 73-75 wow. recession, you took the 80-82 recession, you took 90-91, you took the early 2000s and the Great Recession, and you cumulatively combined the increase in the deficit, we exceeded that in six weeks this year. Um, the other thing I would say is the activity of the Fed mirrors similar extreme measures that I've never seen. In that six-week period, again, looking back last spring, the Fed bought more treasuries than they bought during the entire 10-year Bernanke-Yellen um, period of QE. And it's pretty amazing because not only did they, did it, was it greater than the whole nine-year period combined, um, they're still buying $120 billion a month, and the most Bernanke ever bought in the heyday of his QE period was $70 billion. In fact, they bought 57% of all the treasuries since then. I think what started all this is last March, I saw something I'd never seen before uh, in our business. The bond market went down 18 points, not ticks, points one day while we were in a risk-off meltdown. The last 10 or 20 years, treasuries have been the go-to asset for foreigners to hedge their global portfolios with. And whenever risk went down, you had a flight to quality into treasuries. The exact happened last March. I think the reason is pretty obvious. It was a couple of days after the intentions of the CARES Act were announced. It's just sort of the pinball machine went on tilt and foreigners were actually net sellers of a trillion dollars over 48 hours. The Fed appropriately came in to stop the bleeding and announced that they would buy 500 billion in treasuries a week um, until the market stabilized, which they did. And um, that effort was successful. But I think looking back, when I said they were the go-to assets, foreigners have bought 400 billion in, in fixed income a year in the US the last 10 years. They've been net sellers ever since that day. It's been made up for, as I mentioned, the Fed buying the foreign selling. But instead of going forward, having the Fed buying alongside foreigners, now you're having foreigners sell to the Fed. In other words, the Fed has been monetizing the right. debt. And it's it's this great increase in, in supply I see looking forward over the next five years or so that all this money has come into the dollar in equities and bonds the last 10 years, over 10 trillion, slowly seeping out. Huh, that's fascinating because so, so what you're saying in a nutshell is not just that we're running big deficits, um, you know, not just that the Fed is having to buy a lot of treasuries, but that and in a very important way that foreigners 
aren't really as interested. Um, so, I mean, and, and I'll let others kind of think through even the geopolitical implications of that. But, you know, I'm curious if, if the scenario that you're describing pans out over the next three to five years. I mean, in some ways, a weak dollar is very good for U.S. equities. So kind of going back to your your optimism or bullishness earlier, does that mean buy U.S. equities? Buy gold? Is that kind of the rationale uh, behind buy Bitcoin? Um, what about copper and some of the copper names there? I mean, what would be in the, the kind of dollar decline basket? When you look at the extraordinary... Um, measures taken by the Fed and the fact that they're monetizing the debt, I think it's a high probability that we get inflation the next five or six years, um, starting maybe in a year or two, particularly with a vaccine now, the economy could run very hot. At the same time, all the stimulus is in the pipeline. At the same time, you have challenged supply chains between the United States and China. Um, if that were to be happen, were to happen, again, the rotation I talked about earlier, there are companies that benefit greatly from inflation and then, and then they'd ignore a bond market decline and then there are companies that the stocks of which would, would not benefit so much, specifically growth stocks. With regard to gold and Bitcoin, um, you've kind of overstated in your introduction my enthusiasm for Bitcoin. I do own a tiny bit of it, but I own a lot more gold. Um, gold is a 5,000-year brand um, as a go-to asset in, in terms of inflation. And as I just described, I could see why you could, have, you could have inflation way beyond the market's expectations. Having said that, um, I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but I have warmed up to the fact that um, Bitcoin could be an asset class <clears throat> that has a lot of attraction to it as a store of value to both millennials and the new West Coast money. And as you know, they've got a lot of it. It's been around for 13 years and with each passing day, it picks up more, more of its stabilization of a brand. So I own many, many more times gold than I own Bitcoin. But frankly, if the gold bet works, the Bitcoin bet will probably work better because it's thinner and more liquid and has a lot more beta to it. In terms of copper, um, yeah. Sorry, Kelly, go ahead. Sure. No, I was going to say under, understood it. And I, do, I certainly don't want to overstate it. But and also, like we said, you have kind of a different rationale. You know, when, when Bill was talking about Bitcoin and he's been very bullish on it for many, many years um, on a supply demand kind of thing. But for yours, it's almost a simple mathematical calculus as well. If we're talking about a weak dollar and then, yes. So on copper, on some of the other metals, um, and and even other stocks. I mean, is this a, a rationale to hold those names and, and which ones would you hold? Well, I don't like to talk about specific names, but certainly the material stocks, well, I will name one or two, but like Rio Tinto, BHP, Freeport, McNaran, the miners have been strong all year. And I think the reason is obvious. I just outlined them the last five or 10 minutes. So those kind of names would probably be more attractive in the near term than the, than the stocks that have been outperforming as this rotation continues. The travel stocks, I have some lying around because there's a we have kind of a barbell strategy here, but that's more just sort of a catch up um, with the vaccine. These other things I could see having a fundamental run for quite some time. Let me ask with my final question then, um, 
for your closing thoughts on the election. I mean, I, I would have thought before the vaccine news landed that this would be, you know, the substance of our discussion today. What's the most important takeaway in your mind as it relates to all of the scenarios you've just outlined? I mean, is it is it basically a non-event in some ways that just kind of supports these other mega trends? I don't think it's a non-event at all. Um, it was obviously a tough day for President Trump, but I think it was also a great day for the Republican Party. Um, gaining seats in the House was unimaginable um, going into the election, holding and holding the Senate at 50-50 and possibly taking control of the Senate was also not what was forecast. And if you look down ballot, there was a total rejection of the hard left thesis out there, which I think was probably the one the one thing that stock market could have been extremely worried about. If, the, if there was another loser that day comparable to President Trump, to me, it was clearly Nancy Pelosi. I think Mitt Romney said on Meet the Press, uh, it was a great day for conservative principles. I would sort of echo that. So I thought it was a very, very good day for the Republicans. It was a great day for Joe Biden, of course. I thought it was a great day for healing for our country. Um, that combined with the, with the vaccine, there's been a lot, of, a lot of news we can all be excited about. And, and I think we'll leave it there with the, with the positive vibes. Stanley Druckenmiller, thank there's you so much for your time and for going about. through there is. I mean, you know, throw in the nice weather on the East Coast. I think people are just we, we've been so in this mess. We, we've been in this mess for eight months or so, and you can clearly see the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I do agree with your previous guest. You don't want to be the last person to get COVID before a vaccine. So just hang in there with all the safety measures the next four or five months, because this is going to go away and you want to be healthy when it does. Amen. And I was going to say, add to that positive cocktail, your Steelers eked it out. I mean, it was close, though, but they eked it out. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. We'll see you. <laughs> Stan Druckenmiller, founder of the Duquesne Family Office. I'm going to uh, take a quick break here. Still ahead, the Dow hitting a record high today. American Express and Chevron are the leaders. Meanwhile, Home Depot, which you uh, just heard Stan's thoughts on some of the housing names. Home Depot is in the red after what's been a banner year. Is that a preview of potential trouble ahead for the housing sector, especially as rates jump higher today? We will dig into all of those numbers next. Watching markets this afternoon with the monster rally, the Dow's up 1370 right now. Record territory. We're just 300 points off the all-time highs. Amex leading the way up 22%. Look at the NASDAQ, though. It's only positive by two-thirds of 1% today. We're going to keep a close eye on this rotation. Should you buy some of those stay-at-home names as they take a breather? That's next with Steve Grasso. Stay with us. Welcome back. Positive vaccine news sending the Dow and S&P to record highs, but it's crushing the stay-at-home stocks that had seen massive gains since the pandemic began this year. Take a look at names like Teladoc down 12%, Zoom Video down 14%, Peloton down about 15%, and it's off its lows. Not even Amazon is spared today. It's down almost 2.5%. Fast Money Steve, uh, trader Steve Grasso says some of these names are destined for a bounce from here. He joins me now. Steve, is this a tactical or kind of a longer-term uh, pickup opportunity here? This is definitely a tactical pickup of, of a couple of names that have been beaten down, Kelly. So if you look at Zoom, Zoom's up 536% year to date. 
Whenever you get a sell-off like this, Kelly, it's worth the opportunity to take a look. Peloton up 274% year to date. The problem with these stocks though, Kelly, is that once we start to get back to work, then you're gonna have those value plays really take over the performance world. So if that happens, these are, are due for a lot more pain. But getting back to your initial question, when you see a stock sell off 20%, and it's worth noting that all of these names are off their lows of the day. So you could have already made, if you bought on the lows, if you're lucky enough to, you could have already made 10% in one day just bottom picking. But I don't think longer story to your investment strategy should be buying these names just now. So, Steve, it's interesting. I don't know if you caught what Stan Druckenmiller just said, uh, but he kind of agreed with you on, on the digitization names. You know, those names like Zoom that are part of the new digital economy, he said, absolutely, they're not going anywhere. But he said, if you're a Clorox, if you're a Lowe's, if you're someone whose business hasn't fundamentally changed, but you've all of a sudden pulled forward potentially years worth of demand, that could be a different story. Would you separate uh, na the names the same way? I, I think he's, I have the world of respect for, uh, for him, and I think he's dead on. You know, when I look at this group, uh, you know, I, I'm long a name like Chewy. What's going to substantially change? So people bought a lot more pets during COVID. They're not going to run out of their house if they're having delivery from Chewy for their pets. So I think that one longer term is okay. Roku, international expansion, digital, di digitalization of the world, I think he's 100% on. But when you look at a name like Peloton or Zoom, you have to sort of get to that re-rating process because Zoom specifically is up in such a dramatic fashion that if we even get incremental backing off in a more normalized environment for the business world and people start to jump on planes again, you're going to have a tough time defending the valuations on a lot of these names. And I yeah. think specifically Zoom and Peloton fit into that bucket. Last one, Steve, 10 seconds. Uh, do you buy or sell Peloton? Yeah, so right now, I mean, like, I, I believe that you can get a bounce. Uh, it, def it jumped above its 50-day moving average, which is right around 106 and change. I think shooting against that low, but ultimately I'd be a seller of Peloton. And even Roku, even though I'm constructive on Roku, right. I think you can get a chance to buy this thing around $200, which is its 50-day moving average. All right, there's Roku at 234. Steve Grasso, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Good to see you. That does it for The Exchange today. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.